Some parents homeschool, others don't live near a school, and others simply can't afford full-time Jewish day school. Each of these families needs a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. That's why I created Kita. Kita is serious online Torah learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school-aged children receive online lessons each week through their Google Classroom and then participate in weekly Zooms with other kids from around the world. Children can enroll in the Chumash and Avi plan and study Chumash Shemot and Avi Shmuel, or in the Mishnah and Gemara plan, where we're learning Mishnah Brachot and Gemara Elu Metziot. If you'd like to give your child a leg up in his or her Jewish learning, now is a great time to join Kita, as our second semester begins on January 2nd. To learn more about how Kita can help your children grow and thrive in Jewish learning, visit kita.org and fill out the form. That's Kita. K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. Religious Zionist podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm here with Rabbanit Mali Brasky. Hello, Rabbanit Brasky. Hello, how are you? I'm Baruch Hashem. Rabbi Johnny Solomon. How are you doing, Rabbi Johnny Solomon? Shalom, Baruch Hashem. Right, and we're recording now, literally at the at the uh, the, the waning minutes of Yom HaShoah, after Pesach is over, and uh, we're before Yom HaTzma'ut, and there's just so much going on. And it's and it's uh, it's a little difficult not to mention. It's impossible not to mention the the tragic killing of the the members, the female members of the D family, Lucy D and Maya and Rina, and without a doubt, anyone listening was was affected. You know, all of the Chag was there was a pall over the Chag for all of us. I mean, anyone who you know just that just totally consumed by this, by this terrible tragedy on the one hand. At the same time, Israel's uh, political crisis, it's simmering, but it certainly hasn't uh, dwindled in any way, and it could, could, uh, could escalate at any moment. And uh, we're nearing the end of Ramadan, and our enemies continue to attack us, as the, as the D tragedy reminds all of us. And we're preparing for Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzma'ut. So I think all of us are... are, are just one walking around with all of this stuff in our head, trying to make some sense of it. So we're going to talk about the rough. But 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 before we do, uh, I I think I'm just going to do a quick two seconds. First, we'll start with Johnny. Johnny, what are you doing for your matzmot? Well, you know, if you, if you want to say something, I I don't think there's. I really I don't want to belittle the D's and all of us feel their pain, and we've all tried to do something, and we should all should do something, and are awed by by their composure and their leadership and their stature. So I, I don't feel the need to say something specifically other than to, to make note of it, to make mention of it. Johnny, you, you know them personally, so if you wanted to say something, that'd be appropriate. And uh, then tell us what you're doing for your Yom Um Okay, first, it's good to be back. Um, yeah, Leo is my older brother's best friend. I've known him since I was a youngster. Uh, he used to come to my house a lot. Uh, and since then, we've maintained contact. 
uh, just I was thinking recently in the past year uh, when I came to give a Sheeran Efrat, he was there. We met up for a coffee not so long ago. When I gave a talk in memory of Rabbi Sachs, both he and Lucy um, uh, came to Ramot to hear me. Uh, and, and so, you know, when I heard that Motzei Shabbat, uh, who the victims were, my, I mean, my heart already broken, because if you recall, here in Israel, we, we'd heard about the tragedy on Friday in terms of the murder of the two girls. Uh, the wife was, uh, was still in a coma. Uh, people in Efrat knew who these people were, but uh, still so the um, the media was asked not to share that information in order to make sure that family overseas were updated. Uh, and when we heard, you know, the heart broke uh, again and again and again. Uh, all I can say is that many of us have tried to give uh, the family comfort, and yet uh, they've given us a remarkable chizuk, uh, and that certainly is, is worthwhile mentioning how they've responded, and especially the words of Leo has been uh, bombed to our collective soul, and it just highlights the way in which Am Yisrael comes together in tragedy. Uh, so so that's that, and they're getting up from Shiva tomorrow. In terms of Yom Atzmaut, you know, Israel is 75 next week, and I believe my wife is uh, involved in momentum. She's not going to be around, but I think myself and my daughters, we're going to another army base to try and make a barbecue for, for Chayalot. We like doing that. I think it's important. It shows Hakaratatov, uh, and so we look forward to uh, having fun there next week. Is it going to be hard to celebrate Yom Atzmaut this year, or you think you can compartmentalize? I, I just I echo what Leo said on Shvishel Pesach when they were singing Hallel. He told the Chazan in Zeit Ranan, you know, sing. Uh, ultimately, this family's gone through, uh, you know, something that none of us can even put words to. But we have a duty to bring chizak and give joy to those we can. I think that's that was part of the mission of Lucy and the family. And so to take their mission seriously, I'm going to try and do what I can to bring some joy and uh, and goodness to others too. Amen. Molly. Can you give me a leading question? No, no, okay, it's fine. If you don't, I mean, if you wanted to <laughs> no, add no, something No, 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 I'll about, say like, no. You wanted I, to add something, like I, you were in, as you said to me, Gushetzion, like yeah. it wasn't Efrat and it wasn't the Zayit, but it was the, yes. the epicenter of the thing. Correct, correct. That's for sure. That I do feel um, in the sense, again, I think, it, again, as, as Johnny said, like it's such a small country, everybody's connected. Uh, we don't have the same kind of connection that Ruby did, but my daughter... Um, Johnny did, you mean? That Johnny did, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, my daughter is the age of Rina Zal. Mm. So she, and she's her shikva. So her friends in class were Rina's best friends. They're the ones who eulogized. She, her friends from her shevet goes to Kiryat Arba. And so she has on her phone pictures of Rina and, you know, conversations ke'ilu between the three of them. Um, so, like, there are so many levels of, mm. of how we experience this. I think also you're right. Like, the Gush, there was a frat, there was the Zayat, there was a frat, and there was all of Gush at Zion. Like, they, they had asked the members of, of um, the Gush to be standing with with flags for both for both funerals hmm. um, so the the first the first Leviya, um I came but I was I was coming from Yishalayim so I came after the family had already passed by so I stood there for a few minutes the second Leviya, um, we all went out this time I had a flag we had I had my a couple of kids with me um, and we stood there in the rain for say 40 minutes um, hmm. It, it, it was just palpable. You know, many, many people from, from the Yishuv went to the Levaya. 
um, it's here. It, it's it's you know, so many people I know knew Lucy personally here. You know, they just you know, it, it's so interesting for us. Like, I mean, I wasn't actually in Israel when the three boys were killed, and this has a lot of echoes of that. You know, sort of a national tragedy kind of kind of thing. But I have a son about that the age of your daughter, and it was he experienced it in a way that was just um, overwhelming in a sense. Mm -hmm. And, um, and um, I, it was very painful to watch him go through that for the first time. Absolutely. And I think a lot of us had that experience as well. And you don't have words as a parent. There's no words. There's tears and there's tefillot and there's not, support. Yeah. But Watching 16-year-old girls sobbing because they lost, a friend of theirs was killed with her sister, and then losing her mother is not something, in an act of violence, is not something that 16-year-olds should have to be reckoning with. It's, it's just, you know, beyond, um, you know, with, with, with the, the, the kind of the, um, the Magasha Kesef, if we're going to use Yom Hatzma terminology of this country, what, what, what people give. I think, I think it shapes our kids very much. But it's a very, it's heavy. This at the same time, I do want to echo Johnny that like, you know, Rabbi Leo D has been so inspiring. I think the, the word balm is really right. It doesn't mean that every that there isn't pain. At B a l m. B a l m. Yes, he he he's soothe. Yes, not no, not balm, balm. Um, he's soothing us. He's he's comforting us. Um, it doesn't it, it doesn't. Mitigate it, it, it doesn't mitigate the pain, but it brings some comfort along with the pain. Um, and the truth is, for me, there's something that he said that was so powerful for me in my life as a message. He keeps saying, I'm not, I'm choosing not to look at what I don't have, I'm choosing to look at what I have. That message for me personally was such a powerful one about how to be in the world and how to reckon with our own personal, um, struggles which we all have it's it's such an incredible shift and he said it more than once this idea of like i'm, I'm going to focus on what i have i'm not going to focus on what i don't have um he he you know he talked about i i i have what i need now now what i have is is my my three children it's just an incredible perspective with all the other incredible things that he said for me that was that that's like a life transforming sentence so, you know, that's what I'm taking with me. Um, I'll just and, leave you one last leading question because we want to yeah. move on to our next topic. Yeah. What do you guys do for Yom HaTzmaut? Yeah. So, listen, I, I, I assume we'll do what we do every year, which is there's a beautiful Tekkes in the Yishuv at night. We'll have a family barbecue in the day. Um, but I just quickly will say when you said, like, can you celebrate with the difficulties? Well, I mean, we do it every year. Yom HaZikaron, Yom HaTzmaut. I was just thinking about that, that you know. in Israel especially... There's such a weight on Yom HaZikaron, yeah. all of the radio and the names, and it's just part of, you know, the sirens and all that. And then somehow we do the switch. And yeah. so... But I think so. we do that. I think the way that we celebrate, it's, it's, it's a more... Johnny actually wrote, wrote a beautiful um, um, essay on this that I use. I, I, use, I teach my students about what, what true simcha really is about on Purim. That simcha doesn't, isn't, uh, and this actually can move into the rub. It's not a simple-minded, everything's going to be great, and everything is great, and my life is perfect, and I'm happy. It's how can I have joy 
with, I don't even want to say despite, while at the same time, I know that I'm also holding other emotions, painful emotions. Um, what does faith mean? What is, what is, again, simcha mean? What, what does relying on God mean? All of, these, all of these things in Israel are much more complex. They're not a very, you know, like the whole idea, the word happiness I don't think fits it. I think the word joy fits it because joy has a more profound connotation. Um, and, and I think that that's the Israeli understanding of what joy is includes an understanding of what sorrow is and loss. And it's a different experience. You know, it's interesting. You make me, when you're saying this, it makes me think of like the, the, the incredible, I know, John, if you wrote this in your article, jumble of emotions that appear in Hallel of loss and joy and yearning and thanks and praise and like all of those things are in there but it's still you have these highlights you know and then there's still you know like that that David HaMelech got it you know it's not just one thing it's not everything is good it's everything you know you know there's, there's a sadness there as well okay I'm gonna take a hard turn because we felt it was appropriate for our listeners to sort of, we, we had to acknowledge it. I think all of us feel that. And we hope that you as a listener feel that as well. But at the same time, you might've noticed that uh, there, there, there are a number of publications and there's going to be an ongoing, more publications coming out, marking the 30th yard site of the Rav, Rav Yosef Dabalevi Salabechik, Zecher Tzadik Livracha, as well as, I guess it's his 120th birthday. And uh, as one of those publications is the is the uh, the journal tradition, the traditional journal of which our our esteemed colleague Molly Bravsky is a she's on the editorial board mm-hmm. on the editorial board, and uh, they had a whole issue dedicated to the memory of the rub, different articles about the memory of the rub. So the first thing we should say is if you haven't yet gone to the mailbox, ripped open your plastic cover on your tradition journal and read it from cover to cover. Now's the time. Okay, you, sh- you should absolutely do that and think about the Rav and the implications that he had. It's really interesting. There was a whole Musaf Shabbat in Makor Rishon about it. Some silly articles in the, in the magazine in Makor Rishon about it, which we're not going to talk about. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot going on about the Rav. There's going to be a... Uh, <laughs> Johnny's laughing. Uh, there's there, there's going to be a, at the a book launch at the, at the Kenes. There was a whole... A whole magazine dedicated to the memory of the Rav, the Mizrahi magazine. So there's tons of stuff going on about the Rav. So we thought as a, uh, as a way of marking this, uh, the Rav obviously is probably the, um, no, he's not probably, he is the most influential personality, relig- religious rabbinic leader in the uh, American modern Orthodox community uh, at all, for like in modern, in modern, I would say in modern history. Would you agree with that, Molly? The most influential, the most, uh, okay. By a lot? In the, in the modern Orthodox community? Yeah, in the modern Orthodox community. Yeah, yeah. I actually wrote something like in, in my article, which I'll let us in a minute, where I wrote, the Rav uh, founded modern Orthodoxy. I was quoting my students. And the editor changed it. He said, the Rav didn't found it all by himself. I was like, all right, you can say was one of the founders, but I, you know, I think most people view him as the foundational figure. Ah, he was the. He didn't found it on purpose. He was the foundational figure. Yeah. He didn't get up well, one I day and say. That's what I changed it. He to. didn't get up one and say yes. like. We are I now announce the formation yeah. of. No, but the quibble <laughs> was like there are other modern Orthodox voices, and I was like, okay, but as you're saying, I think most people experience the rub as the towering giant, and the other voices are, you know. Okay, so Molly wrote an article called "The Rub's Enduring Pedagogical Relevance." So 
I think what we'd like to do is, Molly, take us through the major arguments of your article, some of the points you'd like to, you'd like to, uh, you, you emphasize in your piece, and obviously people who want to read it in greater depth should and will, but at the same time, then each of us will have the opportunity to respond uh, to Molly's ideas, and hopefully it'll lead to a fruitful and interesting discussion. So take it away, Molly. Okay, so I, I, um, I don't know if I can, I, I don't want to go on too long, so I'll see if I can, how briefly I can uh, kind of summarize this. But basically the question is, is the rough still relevant today, right? And I think that most, the, the question arises. Wait, one second. You're focusing on pedagogy. So pedagogy is, is the rough yes. relevant to our students in the classroom? Well, right? and that, that's okay. pedagogy. I would say it like this. Is the Rav relevant to our students in their life experience? And if he is, how can we then um, bring that relevance to our students in the classroom? Which might already be my thesis, what I kind of just said, right? But that is my belief, right? My belief is that the Rav is relevant to our students. Um, that, and the, I think that the, the um, obvious like counterpoint that people would say is what do you mean the rub is relevant to our students the rub is such a modernist and we are living in such a um i don't want to use the word postmodern because it's always you hate you know, it right what you know you hate but, it because i hate it and because <laughs> you know it, it means many things to different people but as the catchphrase for the world that we're in and all of the um issues um, that, that concern people, right? It's a very, very different mindset. Our, our, our youth have a very, very different mindset. Um, the world is a very, very different mindset. So is the Rav outdated? Is he no longer relevant? And my thesis is that he is absolutely relevant. He might even be more relevant because, and that's kind of what I argue, right? and I have this quote from C.S. Lewis here. I'm going to see if I can read it because um, I love it. Um, if one has to choose between reading the new books and reading the old, one must choose the old not because they are necessarily better, but because they contain precisely those truths of which our own age is neglectful, which I think is a brilliant way of saying it, which is, uh, it's not just that the Rav is relevant, it's the reason he's relevant is because the things that he said then actually hold in them the, uh, in many cases, and the, you know, the ones I, I, I'll, I'll go through very briefly what I, in which areas, they hold the keys to many of the, the, crisis and and ailments that that are troubling our youth today that's what i believe does that make sense yeah if you describe explain okay. now, instead of so going, for example you, okay yeah. so my okay so I, uh, the obvious one i think that like is 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 just self um necessary whatever mitbakesh is complexity right the rav was all about complexity he himself was complex he um his 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 you can't understand him if you can't think complexly his he, he kind of raised the flag of complexity as the essence of the human experience and as the essence of the religious experience. Um, and we are living in a world in which complexity and nuance are disappearing. So um, giving students the gift of learning how to think complexly, how to evaluate things complexly, how to become aware of their own complexity how to become aware of, of, of the fact that therefore probably if there's an argument going on, there is probably complexity involved and it's probably not as black and white as things are being presented. Um, it's probably not, you know, the forces of light against the forces of darkness. All of these things I think are a tremendous boon to our students. And I, and, and I think that we, we're built, human beings are built 
for meaning and complexity and nuance. And, I, you know, like the world we're, we're in is, is again, I, I, this is the only image I can think of, but like we're feeding people candy and lollipops when we should be feeding them um, meat and vegetables and, and um, you know, hearty bread. And they're thirsting. They, they might, on the surface, seem to be enjoying the candy and the lollipops, but they're really not. And when you give them the meat and the bread and the vegetables, maybe only no meat because we have a lot of vegetarians in today's world, um, but they appreciate it. They, 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 um, they, they, my experience in the classroom, at least, is that they, they, it resonates with them. It's like, wow, that is true about my experience, right? And wow, that is an answer to a question I maybe didn't even know I was asking. Um, and so I think complexity is A, something that, that gives people a sense of, um, like it resonates with them. Yeah, things are more complex. My experience is more complex. Uh, life is more complex. Arguments is more complex. are more complex. And yeah, my life is richer when I include complexity in my way of understanding the world. Um, so that's like, that's like, to me like, you know, the foundation. Then the, the other pieces that I, yeah, you want to ask? Let's stop on this point. Okay. Uh, because um, I, I was, you, when you, when you describe complexity, you're thinking about, like in a f complexity from a political point of view, I think. Meaning, no, is there is only. there one way to think? Is there one orthodoxy? Is there one you know way of believing? You know, do I have to? Is there one right and one wrong? That's the sense That's that I, I'm getting from you. Are those questions political? Is there one right and one wrong? Well, you is said one way of that, that you said that uh, you said that okay. kid that kids are in, given candy, and they're looking for meat. So what is the candy? I'm just trying to, I'm trying to understand. Okay, so the candy can be in, in millions and millions of ways, right? So you're thinking of, you know, you use the word political, but then you also talked about right and wrong and ways, discourse, right? Discourse, language, um, flattening of ideas, um, turning everything into sound bites, um, screens, education, you know, like um, somebody once said at the internet that it's like, you know, Whatever, seven thousand miles wide and an inch deep, right? Oh, right? So that's the world. That's the world we live in, and um, it expresses itself in many, many, many ways. Uh, agreed, um, but not my... just because of the internet. But I'm saying, and it's also about self knowledge, self awareness, um, performance. Am I who I am because of the way other people see me, or do I have an intact um, sense of self? Right? Do I have a good ego strength? The only way to do that is to confront your own complexity, right? And that's so my, kind of my, my second my point. My response to this, and I want to know what yeah. your, how you respond to this is. My response to this is, I don't get a sense that our kids today are looking for, they're looking for complexity. I think that, like you said, the internet is a million miles wide and it's not deep. So maybe they're looking for depth. I don't know. But and that maybe that's what you mean by complexity. I think they're incredibly overwhelmed by the... Uh, the myriad of messages being thrown at them all the time, meaning they're, you know, they see videos on everything, they read things, they're interested in things, they don't know what to believe is true, what not to believe is true. Right. And, and um, I, I'll just say, like you had sent this on Cholamoyed to me, and I read it on Cholamoyed, and I, I wrote my response on Cholamoyed. So it happens to be that my son, who goes to the school of Makor Chayim, you know, like in mm -hmm. Kfar Tzion, and uh, Rav Dov Zinger has, has created this organization to bring their tefillot to the, to the masses, their, their method of tefillah. So yes. my son is a bass They're player, he's a musician, yes. and mm -hmm. they have these mass davening. So mm -hmm. like, he goes all the time, 
And I decided, okay, I'm going to like, I kind of want to experience it. He does it. I want to support him. So we went to Heichal Shlomo. Yeah. There were hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds of people who came on it like early. It wasn't easy to get to like the middle of the city of Yerushalayim on a Friday morning to just for a very simple reason, to sing and to dance. Yes. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, like, interesting, could anybody give a shear, even Rav Dov, who's not, Rav Dov is a very, is, I would say, I don't think the word is not complex or not complex, but it's not philosophical in any way. It's, uh, it's, it's more machshava oriented, more chasidut oriented. Um, but, I don't know if that's not philosophical. Okay, not the, the not same, whatever. Okay, but I'm not, not going to go there right now. Right. People didn't cover the shear. They came for the singing and dancing, sure. I can tell you. And I thought to myself, like, could you, if you gave a shear, the world's greatest shear, like, you know, mm-hmm. people wouldn't come the same, the same numbers. Absolutely. And, and I thought to myself, they're not looking for complexity. They feel overwhelmed by complexity. They're looking for, I don't think the word is simplicity, but I think they're looking for connection. And yes. they don't want somebody to tell them how confusing the world is. To me, and I'm, this is why I want your response, they want exactly the opposite. They want to be told how, with all this confusion going around, I can, you can connect to the Ein Sof, you can connect to God in a way that's beautiful and simple and special. Okay. So, so and I don't think, like, I'm wondering, like, what you're, that was my response when I yes. read what you were saying, and if, that was tr- if that's true then in this crazy, topsy-turvy world of unlimited information, telling them that the world is complex is going to make them feel better. It's not what they're looking for. Tell them okay. that the world is straightforward. Tell them that Rabboni Shalom has, you know what I'm saying, is connecting to you. I, I just look at where they're voting with their feet, not, you know, how they're voting, how they're okay. acting, and what, and what the yeshivot are teaching now, truth be told. And, uh, and, and I wonder. So I wonder what your response is, and Johnny yeah, clearly has something I wanna, to say about I wanna, that. I'd, I'd love to hear Johnny's answer, but I would like to answer. Um, so first of all, I don't think it's so ter. I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a yes and what you're describing. Um, I, th- I, I, I actually believe that um, they, w- what you described, they would like to know that there's an Ein Sof. They would like to know that they, that's not a, it could be that there are people who are looking for simplicity. It could be that there are many people who are looking for simplicity, but that's not my experience of the youth that, that, that I'm seeing. What I'm seeing is a youth that wants, that actually does feel and experience the complexity and that wants a way to hold it all together, right? And, and hold all of that complexity in a way that is, um, that has integrity, that's integrated, right? And that actually is my second point about the Rav and self-actualization, where that's the work, right? The Rav doesn't just say life is complex, go suffer. He says life is complex, so figure out how to create a self that can hold all of that complexity. Well, now, again, for him, there are boundaries, which that's a different, right, that we leave that for later, halakhic boundaries. But his fundamental idea is ground yourself, meaning don't just float around in this sea of, of information. And you're right, our kids are floating in a sea of information, and it doesn't feel good. People don't feel good when they don't have meaning, um, self-actualization, purpose, and clarity about who they are and what and what and what their purposes in the world. They would like to create that. And what the Rav is saying is, you're not going to get that, the Rav is arguing, from a simple, okay, let's all stand in a circle and jump around. And I don't think that the people who go to, my, my kids went, go, went, go, went to the Rav Dov, um, well, at least my son did. He actually, interestingly enough, as an aside, he left because he said, I'm not in the mood for the dancing right now, which I thought was interesting. interesting. But, but, 
Um, I don't think that th- that he and his peers and all those people, I don't think they were looking to sing and dance um, as a like, I'm going to forget all the like difficulties and I'm going to just, you know, throw myself into a ecstatic musical experience. I believe that their singing and dancing is an expression of a very deep spiritual experience. No, that's they my are, point. Exactly. Right. No, I agree I'm with saying, you so, totally. Okay. So I'm not ignoring the, the world. They're saying my okay. spirituality so is found in the this. Rough. The rough that's not complexity. Says, okay. That's simplicity. Okay, so the rough says, to pray in order to sing and dance, no. Right? To use tefillah as an experience to be la la la, no. To sing and dance, right? And I forgot how he says it. In order to pray, yes. I forgot how he says it, but his point is, if no. you're singing and dancing, wait, I, I know. You're no, saying I'm not saying the rub is against singing and dancing. That's no, not what I'm saying at what, all. What I'm saying is the singing and dancing is complex. You're, you're framing complexity only in a cognitive, um, like um, educational kind of framework. And I'm flame, framing complexity as a, a, a way of being in the world in which you learn to hold um, within your soul contradictions, which is exactly what we were talking about in the beginning, right? And I think Israelis are very good at it, which is why I think these Rav Dov experiences are so powerful, because they're also mourning, but they also want to cry out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and they want, they want to lead to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that's why they go to Rav Dov, because they know intuitively that they want to be able to hold all of this complexity, and the Rav gives language to that. And I'll just end with one last point, which is what you're saying has truth in it, which is, you can't just read the Rav and be like, here you go, read this, and then uh, now you're going to understand complexity. We do have to translate it into language that our students can understand. Like, I say that when I, when I teach it. I always say to them, like, does this feel heavy to you, right? Is it, like, too much on the sacrifice? How many of you would rather be, you know, just like the Rav Kook or Hasidut? And then they discuss it. But, w- but we always get to a point where they all admit, oh, yes, I do, like, of course I've had questions with religion. Of course I've struggled with things. Of course I have unanswered issues. Of course, that's part of my religious experience, um, you know. And, and so, my, you, my only question, Molly, for your students is: you teach a Lindabam, right? No, it's, I teach an MY. MY. Is it a mandatory course or a, or no. a right? So no. it's a self-selected it's a, course. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm girls that want to learn the theology of the realm. That is totally true. It is self-selecting. <laughs> they are definitely, um, you know, intellectually. They they know that they have to be able to handle the, the material. And still, I will say, well, I would it's ask not it this an way. intellectual experience. Which class the is class... more popular at MMY, your class or the storytelling rub class? Um, I, I, hate, I don't think there's a storytelling rub class. My class is pretty popular. Great, I'm sure. But Johnny, I'm sorry. Johnny, we, Johnny's been waving yes. for a while. I apologize. Okay, so let's just put for aside that question about popularity. I don't think that tells us much. But I now want to pick up on... Uh, the uh, metaphor of candy versus meat and, and reflect on Mali's essay and also uh, recent experiences. So uh, imagine we have these two diets. One is candy, which is not great for you and uh, it's not great for your digestions, uh, d- digestive system. It's not good for your diet. Uh, and then you have whatever, meat or, or basically well-cooked food, which is good for your diet uh, and good for your digestive system. So just yesterday, you know, I do these spiritual coaching sessions, I met with somebody who came through uh, the Kirov movement. And I want to be very, very clear before I continue, there are some wonderful aspects of the Kirov movement and Kirov organizations. So what I'm going to say here is not meant to be a generalization, but specific to this person. But this person's journey was more that they'd received candy. That means they'd received kind of 
uh, quaint, relatively simplistic approaches to a variety of ideas which had been sufficiently attractive for them to change their life. But then life got complicated, and the candy they were eating wasn't great for that uh, digest. They couldn't digest the life they were going through with what they'd been eating until now. And they booked a session with me basically to discuss some complex issues was arising in their life. And what did I do? The truth is I often quote Rav Soloveitchik precisely because of his complexity, because precisely because he has this beautiful balance of of Mesorah and Chidosh, of being both incredibly traditional and incredibly innovative. But the reason why I want to uh, relate this anecdote is when we talk about the Rav, we think about him, but also we need to remember he inspired generations. So who did I quote yesterday? I quoted your neighbor, Mali, Rabbinit Shana Goldberg, because right at the end of her book, What Do You Really Want? She has a chapter titled Living with Tension. Now, she doesn't say these ideas are brought to you by Rav Soloveitchik, but guess what? If you know Shana Goldberg, these ideas are brought to you by Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, which are brought to you by... Meaning, this is him written in a slightly more accessible way by a different author, but Living with Tension is fundamentally, shall we say, uh, um, you know, one of the major contributions of the Rav. He talked about dialect, he talked about how you can live in different worlds and live with different feelings and how that's part and parcel of what it means to be a Jew. And, and explaining these ideas to this client, they, and, and this is really a, a much more sophisticated diet, realized, wow, I need this. I need this because the candy doesn't work for me anymore, given the, the life that I have and the tensions I'm experiencing. I need one which re- reflects that tension, which is complex, which speaks to me. And in a similar way, uh, just a few, uh, about a week and a bit ago, as these, these, these terrible things occurred with a family, I did an online spiritual coaching workshop titled Living with Questions. And guess who I quoted? I quoted Rav Soloveitchik. I quoted Rav Aaron Lichtenstein. I quoted Rav Amital, all of whom spoke about the importance of being able to live with questions. Not about trying to solve everything, because Rav wasn't about solving things. He was about saying, this is a reality. It's about dealing with the, the, these multiple experiences these multiple identities and trying to negotiate them in a way in which we can live with ourselves and make a contribution to the world and so i'm just going to end up basically by considering you know this like these words complexity reflect real life life isn't candies right life has ups and downs we spoke about you know an incredibly difficult down uh, that the d's have gone through and the whole world have gone through candy doesn't work for that and there are lots of candy sellers of simplistic bumper sticker Judaism. And they're cute at the beginning, but they become relatively meaningless after a while. Who do you turn to next? And especially Balei Tshuva, who've gone through that journey, uh, and, and other people, and people who are just living life. Uh, if they've been introduced to the Rav, or if they are introduced to the Rav, they meet somebody who is both intellectual and emotional, who understands the different identities that we live in and the tensions we live with, the part of being an individual and part of a collective. And they don't necessarily walk away with simple answers. In fact, they often rarely have any answers. But they say, now I know how to frame what real life is all about. Now I know how to, how to frame what it means to live both on heaven and try to, both on earth and try to reach the heaven. And that is really what Mali's explaining in this beautiful article. Okay, uh, we'll take a quick break, and then Molly, we'll come back with, I guess, one more, one or two more points that you wanted to mention about your article, and then we'll wrap up. Stay with us.
Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ila, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, Molly, take us through one or two other points that you wanted to highlight in your article, and uh, okay. we'll discuss. Okay, so uh, again, I, the next thing, and I think, you know, John just said that so beautifully, um, I'll just re- repeat what I had said earlier, which is for the Rav, the idea of the uniqueness of the individual. He has a beautiful sentence where he says, we, we all have a Tzalem Elohim, but that is um, a challenge to be met and to be created. We have to create our own uh, souls, our own selves, our own uniqueness. We have to find our own uniqueness and create it um, and ground ourselves in in a worldview for the Rav, right? This is tied to the idea that for the Rav, um, that worldview is, while obviously we all know for that for the Rav, that worldview can be enriched very deeply and very profoundly by the wisdom given us to the world, but fundamentally that worldview is grounded in Torah. Torah values and the halachic system, which for the Rav is a reflection of Torah ethical values, which is another thing that I address. Like I have a little piece there about how the Rav views halacha as the ethical moral norm, which I think is a very important message today, that to just explain that idea um, that according to the Rav, we're we're meant to see halacha as the tool through which we we, we elevate and and, um, purify the world and make the world a better place and an, and from an ethical perspective, which obviously doesn't answer all the questions. Okay, but this halacha, I don't understand how that's ethical. You can you have to have those conversations, right? Um, and this whole thing that I'm saying where like you're looking to understand the will of God, it's another thing I, I, that I mentioned in the, in, in the essay, which I think is really important. That doesn't mean that it's so easy to understand what the will of God is. And that's part of also holding the tension. I, I'm going to try to understand, but I realize that there are different perspectives and, and, and that like it's complicated and, and we should not have what he calls the um, unredeemed religious drive. I have a hotline to God. I know what he wants. That would be the opposite of the rough. And yet, and yet, he, everything for him is fundamentally grounded into our values, which I think is extremely relevant today because we have to explain to our students why Torah and halacha are meaningful. And as I said before, they are thirsty for meaning, absolutely thirsty for meaning. We live in a generation that is, as we said, the, the, the candy means there's no meaning. They're looking for meaning in their lives and they're looking for their own unique expression of that. Yeah. So my, my response to that is the Rav took for granted an absolute axiom mm-hmm. that the Torah is shamayim, you know, the, the Masorah is the word of God and the Halacha is that expression of the word of God in the world. Okay, And from there he developed his... Uh, his and that it's ethical. I think that's a very wait, wait, one second, one second. It. So correct, and that it's by definition ethical, that it defines 
the ethics of the universe, as it would, of creation. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he would say it. He would say it you know, much more fluently. But uh, do we agree on that? That, that the Rav took that for yes. granted, that basis, that understanding. Mean, meaning, I'm not sure from what I see, like, right. you know, our students are being raised in a, in a culture that completely and utterly rejects those fundamental truths. Correct. Completely and utterly rejects them. So therefore, it's yeah. very nice to say that the like you read halachic man and halacha yeah. is the expression of God's will in the universe and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But he doesn't even say it's like when I always say when you read a Mishnah, you have to first understand what are the fundamental principles that the Chazal took for granted that you knew in order to understand the Mishnah, mm-hmm. right? So the so the, the Rav is taking for granted things that I don't get a sense that most kids can just blindly accept. Which he, he I, I say the word blindly in the most positive way. Mm-hmm. This is our tradition. This is our Misora. This is who we are. And based on this, I'm going to explain to you in the most unbelievably beautiful way. So my question for you is, if you're, you're nodding to me, but our, user, our, our, our listeners can't hear, how does, this, how does this answer our problems? Like, how does this answer the, what they're looking for if they don't even agree with the fundamental right. uh, principle? Right. So I think what you're saying is exactly right. They, that's why they need it, because they don't have it. Because they do, they, they do question, is halacha eth- ethical? Is it meant to be ethical? Right? Even, I don't saying, think they question, is halacha ethical? I think they look at many halachot and say, they they're antithetical or okay. anti-ethical. Right, I agree. So I think that you know, that's... Division of the sexes, the supremacy so of the Jewish people. I don't even it. have to start anywhere. I can Correct. just like, you know what I'm of saying? Of course. So, all of it. All of it. And that, therefore, again, that's why this essay is, about, is not, something is relevant, not because people agree with it. Something is relevant because it's answering a need of the time. And I think that if one believes that at its core, halacha is, and I do believe that, and it's also always surprising to me when people like put up Facebook posts that say like, halacha is meant to be ethical. And like, you know, they quote somebody. I'm like, obviously, but it's not obvious. I grew up with that. My, that was always what I learned from my grandfather and from my father and from my uncle. Like it was, it was like the whole point of every mitzvah, what's the ethical source? What's the idea behind this mitzvah that's meant to be an ethical statue? That was like obvious to me. It's not obvious to, uh, to everybody and it's certainly not obvious to our students. Well, why. And, and what happens when the halacha okay, seems to so fly in the correct, face of your sense of ethics? Correct, 100%, which is why that's why you have to, this is, that's why this is an educational um, opportunity. And that, again, I'm just thinking back to what happened in class this semester when I posited this and I knew exactly what was going to happen is what you, I was like, I, what are your questions? And I got the hands about homosexuality and I got the hands up about Amalek and I got the hands up about women. And we had, I dedicated an entire class to talking about the complexity of, wait, l- let's try to see if we can understand um, how how you know like a like what first of all what does the halacha what is is there a jewish perspective um on these issues what is the torah saying um you know like that like but i'm starting i am starting i told them that i'm starting from the hanachat yisod that this is an ethical document it's also true that it's written in a certain time it's a certain people and that has to be taken into consideration but if you compare it to the to the ethics of its of its compatriots whatever however you say that 
it's miles ahead. And the challenges are we're you're already equivocating. Ahead? You're already equivocating. No, that's I, that's not well, an equivocation. It was it's time no, and it's that's, that's not an equivocation. That is a complex truth. Absolutely. That and that and then and then I speak to the students and I tell them, okay, here's here, let's work this through. But I am starting from the Hanachat Yisod that this is meant to be ethical. Now, as you said, you called it an equivocation. I call no, it not me- I, I disagree with that. It's not meant to be ethical. It is ethics. It is ethical. But He would not say it's? it's meant to be ethical. No, he no, would say it is the definition another, of ethics. You have to add another complex wrinkle in, which is um, we as human beings, Torah Shabbat Al-Peh is our attempt to try to figure out what the heck a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants from us, right? And what are those ethical principles? And we, we are humans. And so we're struggling and evolving over time. So maybe sometimes is it possible that like something is, soci- is sociologically affected, right? Is, is that theoretically possible? Is it theoretically possible that the Rambam had a certain view of women because women were covered from head to toe, you know, and therefore he says you shouldn't leave the house? Does that mean that like Judaism believes that women shouldn't be driving? Or this is really complex. Let's unpack this and let's let's... Put all these pieces together. Let's assume that fundamentally God is ethical and that his Torah is meant to shine that ethical light on the universe. And let's assume that Chazal were struggling to figure out in their time with their constraints what that would look like. And let's assume that in every generation, in its own time and in its own place, they were still struggling. And let's get to the heart of what that is. That that to me is the message that we're trying to give our students. And it's a conversation. And it's it's a... it's it's not it's not here's the truth and now I want you to swallow it. It's let's unpack this. What do you think, Johnny? Johnny. So I'll I'll be quite brief. I know we need to wrap up in a yeah. second. Uh, you know I write something every day on Daf Yomi and and Sota Yotet was a very tough Daf. Anybody studying Daf Yomi it just it raised many many ethical or moral questions. And if I have to write something and I choose to write on that particular point, the question is what did I do? And I want to just kind of work us through for a moment about who the Rav was. You know, one of the stories he often turns to is Yaakov wrestling with an angel. Rav Soloveitchik was a wrestler. Wrestler means an intellectual wrestler. He used to try and figure things out. We often, you know, judge him by the English books that are published. But actually, the way you see the most in, is in Rishimot uh, Shirim in his lengthy analyses of, of complicated Talmudic uh, issues where he wrestles with ideas over pages and pages. It's written by a student. Wrestles over pages and pages uh, about trying to make sense of this. And uh, whether the outcome is satisfactory to some or not, that's not the point. But who is Rasul of Atrid, somebody like me? He is, is a, an, an example, a, a remarkable example, probably the prime example of somebody who recognizes the uh, tension that exists between Masar and Chidush, who recognizes the tension between tradition and modernity, who recognizes questions that arise from being committed to faith and being a modern, and he wrestles with them. And that inspires people like me to do the same. And... Uh, and whether, whether what I write make, made sense or not, that's not the point, but it's inspired by him. And there are generations of people who try and figure these things out, but he gave us permission to do that. He didn't say you have to answer like this and stick to the text, and he didn't say you should throw away the text. He said, you got to wrestle. You see, I think it's really interesting because when the rub passed away, there were, like, as we discussed in our you know, pre-discussion, there are streams of Talmudim. And certain streams lean, I would say, in the more I struggle, and the Rav struggled, and uh, 
And he also had, you know, equivocated sometimes and tried to find a way. And then there's an entirely other stream, which were less Tambidim of, that said, what are you talking about? The Rev represented the ideals of strict adherence to halacha, and these were his piske halacha, and he was a, he was a, he was a you know, magid shir. And I think... Some, all of that is true. And, all that, 100%, that. all that is true. He represented different things to different people. And so I sometimes think we, par- we cherry-pick the Rav that we want to be the Rav. Meaning, like, we, I guess, I don't know if I'm more modern, or, I don't know, we on the more modern side, we, we, don't, we, we don't like the Rav as a halachist and as the demanding and unwavering and inflexible personality. And then the people on the other side, obviously, they, you know, they, 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 they oh yeah, of course the Rav, the Rav gave a drasha, or the Rav struggled because he had to deal with that issue, but that doesn't mean that that was a core value to him. And I, I think, I, I think, like, it's very complex, but, uh, but I'm, I'm not sure that we're able to do justice to all sides, or I would say, perhaps we cherry pick the sides that we like rather than admit that there was another side that was far more demanding and far, far less flexible than we would want to admit. Molly, you wrap it up. Okay, so I'll wrap it up by saying that you just, I was going to say, I can't talk about this essay without talking about sacrifice, which is another one of the themes that the Rav hits over and over and over. You use, which was flexible, unflexible. I don't think the Rav was inflexible. I know he was a, a, a tartan in, the, in Sheer, but that also changed after his wife died. Um, I, I think so. That's it's, it's not that. Yeah, but I, I think you're believe, right. But that I think he, he the true Rav was before standards. his wife died. The true, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. People, I'm not sure. That's a different conversation. But yeah. um, the idea of sacrifice, right? The idea that you have to be willing to um, contain yourself, restrain yourself to God and to your fellow man, right? In order to have relationships with both God and fellow man is such a fundamental, first of all, fundamental truth and is important in and of itself, but especially in today's world of narcissism and hedonism and all that stuff, sacrifice, the, the, the willingness to, to, to live a life where sacrifice is part of your worldview is really important. Um, as to your second point, I don't think we're cherry-picking the rub. That's, this is the dialectic that is the rub, and I agree with you. It's hard to hold dialectic, but just because it's hard doesn't mean it's right, right? And I think you're right. I think people err on the, they fall... You know, on one side or the other, but what the Rav is trying to say is, I and, and I mentioned this to you briefly in the beginning. He said, "I have a, I have a mind and I have a heart," and he was so concerned. He's like, "I gave you all my mind. I don't know if you got my heart." When he was talking about his heart, what he was talking about is an unqualified commitment to Torah, mitzvos, mesora. And That's that, what, no, I totally agree with you, but I don't think in our community. We really, so then, we so speak about that about nearly that. enough. Okay. And, and I wonder, I didn't read the whole, uh, the whole art, the mm-hmm. whole, all of the articles, but I wonder how many times that you mentioned it, obviously, but I wonder how many times it came up. I mean, was the rub reflected as a, you know, some, no, the yeah, answer is no. Absolutely. You know? absolutely. So I agree. So I think that's a really important aspect of what the rub has to give us, which is this very ground, very, and that's the thing I mentioned in the essay, very, very grounded, unequivocal um, commitment to to Masora and to Torah. And I'm just going to end by saying that that for me, one of the nicest parts of the essay was that I said to my students, well, what do you think? Like what? And, and that I kind of summarized their views. And that was really the most gratifying because it it demonstrated to me that they had understood 
what what the messages were that I was trying to convey and that it did resonate with them and hearing it from their point of view and one of the one of the things that one of the girls said um, which I found so meaningful she said she said it so straight out she's like we always hear about Masora we always hear about the Rav the Rav is our Masora so of course we have to know who the Rav is everything we do is built on the Rav um, so like it was such a beautiful expression of like her internalizing this idea I think she came with it into school but this idea of the importance of Masora they talked about loneliness they talked about the validity of it's okay to feel lonely in the world as a religious person when they go on to into into secular environments um, when they try to do this thing that you're describing which is to hold the um, uncommitted um, allegiance to halacha and to Judaism with the openness to the larger world they said it's lonely and it's lonely for us also among our peers but 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 the, but but the students that heard it I think it was a very very um, meaningful experience for them. Okay, thank you very much, Molly, for sharing your article, and uh, and we encourage everyone to uh, take the time to seek out the tradition uh, um, special edition. Is it a special edition or just yeah. a regular edition? No, no. It's just celebrating the thirty yard side of the Rav, um, and we'd love to hear your comments and your questions as well. All right, uh, I want to wish all of our, on behalf of Johnny and Molly, wish all of our listeners a chagatz maud sameach. We should we should we should have. Um, reasons to celebrate. We pray that the state Amen. of Israel grows stronger together and, uh, and learns to overcome its differences and to find ways to reach compromise and solution in this crazy, topsy-turvy world. Uh, on the one hand, as we celebrate the unbelievable miracle that is Medina Israel, the gift that God gave us, and uh, we hope that you have a wonderful celebration as well. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs>